0: Tavaka Thamritam Taptajivanam Kavipiriritam Kalmasha Paham Sravanamam Śrīmadātataṁ Bhuvigranantīye Bhuridājana So we will be continuing with our study of the Gospel the third chapter where Sri Ramakrishna is visiting the And in the last class, we saw that Sri Ramakrishna entered into the discussion in his own words of the vigyani The Vijjani fur- further sees that what is Brahman is the Bhagavan, the personal god. He who is beyond the three gunas is the Bhagavan with his six supernatural powers. So as we were discussing in the last class, the six supernatural powers, as has been described in the scriptures are, Aishwarya, that is wealth. And it's not only wealth, Samagrasya, it's the entire wealth, Aishwaryasya, Samagrasya, viryasya. all the valor belongs to him, Yashasa, all the fame. Sriya, the beauty. Jnana, the knowledge. Vairagya, renunciation. So these are the six supernatural bhaga. Bhaga means all those six qualities which belongs to Bhagavan. So that's what Sri Ramakrishna is integrating Bhagavan with his six supernatural powers. So these are the six supernatural powers as has been indicated in the scripture. samagrasya Viriyasya yashasasriya Chaiva, Shanna bhaga itingana So these are the six. So as we were saying the wealth as the entire creation is a projection of the Lord. So obviously all the wealth belongs to him. Vidya, as Sri Ramakrishna in some other context have referred to it, that Brahman, which is beyond the phenomenal existence, when finds expression as this phenomenal existence, its expression is in the form of Shakti. Brahma Shakti Abhed. The noumenon Brahman in the phenomenon appears as the Shakti. And that Shakti speaks of virya. The magnet as an iron bar has no, as such, force. But the same magnet, when when the same iron bar gets converted into magnet, when I can orient all the dipoles in such a way that all the north poles are in one direction and then all the south poles are in one direction, then we find that the iron bar has got converted into magnet. So from where that magnetism came, it was hidden in the iron bar it was just hidden there and when you orient all the dipoles such that the north poles are in one direction and the south is in one direction it immediately finds expression as a magnet it has a certain way of expressing its existence as force the force is not created it was hidden similarly the brahman which is beyond this phenomenal existence. When appears as the phenomenal existence, appears as Shakti. That speaks of the Virya, the valor. And naturally the one to whom belongs all the valor, to whom belongs all the wealth. What is that he is the most for This famous person. All the fame belongs to him. In him, there is no as such covering. The same that the divine principle is in all of us. It's the only difference of the manifestation. In Ishwara, there is no covering as such. He's beyond all ignorance. So all the fame, the vibhuti belongs to him. The beauty as we spoke of, the entire creation finds expression as energy. And that energy again is not chaos, it's rhythmic. It finds expression as laws that laws speaks of rhythm, that laws speaks of that beauty and of course as the creation is a projection from him so everything in general and in particular he knows everything in details of it because after all it is a projection from him so that's why he is the one who is the ultimate source of all knowledge, jnana and at the same time he knows that he's always aware of the fact that the entire creation is just a mere projection, is a superimposition. Just the way I see a snake in a rope in the twilight hours, just the way the mirage is projected on the desert. Ishwara knows that all this is a mere projection. So if anything is a projection, if anything is not real, there's no question of developing attachment infatuation towards it. All the infatuation attachment comes in our life from the sense that it is real. Our relations are real, we think, because of our short-sightedness, though it is palpably uh, visible, though it is palpably understood by all, that we are not permanent beings. We were born at certain point of time, we are going to die, all the relations has to End up in separation today or tomorrow, but we take them as real, and that's the cause of all the attachment. Once I know this is all fleeting, is just a, something which is projected, such as superimposition. There is no question of attachment. So, the one who has the entire knowledge of the creation can never be attached to it, knowing it very well, it's something a mere superimposition. So, that's why. He is the one, in spite of the fact that the, all the wealth, valor, fame, duty, knowledge, everything belongs to him. But at the same time, he is detached. In no way he gets attached to all these things. So that's the idea of Ishwara. These are the six attributes of Bhagavana, which Sri Ramakrishna is referring to while discussing with Vidya Sagar. Now let's proceed to what Sri Ramakrishna is saying. His, let us continue with the discussion that is going on. Living beings, the universe, mind, intelligence, love, renunciation, knowledge, all these are the manifestations of his power. So we will find that each and every line is very, it seems to be very simple. but you will find that the entire scripture is actually at the background of each and every statement. In the seventh chapter of Bhagavad Gita, there we find, while explaining the entire creation, the Bhagavan takes a particular paradigm, the paradigm of para, apara-prakriti, and beyond that, he is the one who is beyond the para as well as the apara-prakriti. And there we find the idea, uh, what has been indicated in this line, is being explained there. So, what's the uh, thing which has been mentioned in the Bhagavad Gita there? We find the seventh chapter from slokas four to seven. The whole, this prakriti, the entire nature, which consists of the five subtle elements, pancha bhuta, five gross elements, pancha bhuta and pancha bhuta mana, buddhi, ahankara. These are considered as the upper, the lower nature. And what is the higher, this is also nature. And what is the higher nature? The individual selves, the jivas or the purushas, they are the para-prakriti. And the Lord, like the, what is the thread in the necklace, is connecting them all this, this idea, which has been spoken of in the Bhagavad Gita, is sutre manigana eva. So, just like a thread, he is connecting both the para and the apara prakriti. So, all the individual selves are the para prakriti, and the five subtle elements, the five gross elements, the mind, the buddhi, the ahankara, everything is the apara prakriti, and the Lord is the one who is the thread, the sutratma, the whole. Reality is regarded as a necklace. The Lord himself constitutes the unbroken, the golden thread, which is running through all the beads, all the pearls, which are stung together. These pearls are the para and the para-prakriti. So this is the idea which we find is being indicated in this statement. Living beings, the universe, mind, intelligence, love, renunciation, knowledge, all these are the manifestations of his power." So with a laugh, if an aristocrat has neither house nor property, or or if he has been forced to sell them, one doesn't call him an aristocrat anymore. So all laugh. So what's the idea? As a Brahman who is beyond all the attributes, the Brahman is not the Bhagavan. The moment he finds expression as the lord of the universe then we call him bhagavan so bhagavan is like that rich man with all the properties if he didn't have the property all those things we would have not regarded him as an aristocrat so the brahman as if he is not the aristocrat the aristocrat is the ishwara who is the brahman is beyond ishwara but he is beyond all those attributes so only when you are if anything finds expression with all those attributes, then he can be considered as the aristocrat. So God is endowed with the supernatural powers. If he were not, who would obey him? If he were not, who? So this is the idea that as the Brahman, he is the one who is pervading the entire existence. But the question of the obeying comes when the rhythm, rhythm comes into picture, as we were indicating again and again. The ultimate reality, the Om, finds expression as Rim. Rim is the Vija of Shakti. And that again finds expression as Rhythm. Rhythm. So at the moment this phenomenal existence comes into picture, it's a manifestation of energy. That, manif- that energy is again bound in some rhythm, And there the question of obeying the rhythm comes. So we can never break the law. In our attempt to break the law, we will break ourselves, as we say again and again. That I cannot in any way deny the gravitation. It is there. In our attempt to deny gravitation, if I think that gravitation is not there, just by thinking that gravitation is not there, I am not going to fly. If I jump out of a multi-story building, I will crash and die and I will break myself. So that's the idea that when the God is finding expression as this phenomenal existence, then the Shakti comes into picture and that Shakti finds expression as law. And the question of obeying the law comes into picture. Then when I'm beyond this phenomenal existence, there is no question of obeying any law. You You have transcended the phenomenal existence. So as long as we are bound in this phenomenal existence, we are bound to follow by the bindings of Ishwara. The laws which he has bound us with, we are, fo- well, we are impelled to follow them. If we don't, we destroy ourselves. The choice is ours. So that's the, how wonderfully you will find that the entire scripture in a very simple word, Sri Ramakrishna is speaking. Living beings, let us read that paragraph again living beings, the universe, mind, intelligence, love, renunciation, knowledge. All these are the manifestations of his power. If an aristocrat has neither house nor property, or if he has been forced to sell them, one doesn't call him an aristocrat anymore. God is endowed with six supernatural powers. If he were not, who would obey him? All love. So that's the idea, as we told, of the Sankhya Prakriti. The Sankhya philosophy's Prakriti, That both para and the apara. That idea, again, just sometimes we read it, but to have a very clear idea that what it speaks of, again, just let us have these ideas we will recapitulate so that these ideas become very clear to us. We say that five subtle elements, gross elements, mind, buddhi, ahankara, but what actually it means? If we try to find out elements outside, It will never make any sense. That Apara, this Pada Prakriti is the Jiva, the Purusha, the conscious principle. When you are sleeping, when you are in deep sleep, do you still exist? I exist. I do exist. My existence cannot be denied. I am in deep sleep. So the one who is in deep sleep, the conscious principle, bereft of the mind, is the, the Jiva. The, he, he he's associated with the mind but the mind at that moment is inactive. As has been told in the Yoga Sutra that Abhava Pratyaya Alambana Vritti Nidra It's not that the mind has become inactive. The Vrittis are still there but the contents are there is no content. These words are very important. Vritti means the waves of the mind and pratyaya means the contents of the waves which gives us the knowledge. So Abhava Pratyaya, where the Pratyas are not there, but the Vrittis are still there. So in deep sleep, what is this? These Vrittis are there, but these Vrittis are having no Pratyas, no contents. So when he wakes up, as an example when we always give, he sees the red flower. What is happening? That all the Pratyas which were not there, they get activated just by the act of seeing the flower. That what are the pratyayas? The color, the shape, the fragrance, the texture. All these are the subtle elements. They all come and coalesce together, synthesize together to give the idea of the red flower as a whole. That becomes the gross element. Where it has happened? In the mind. They were all hidden in the mind. How it has happened? Manas is like the uh, all the individual uh, perceptions, all these piecemeal perceptions happens in the manas. And this pers- all these piecemeal per- perceptions, when they are presented to the search engine called buddhi, buddhi is the search engine, that is the nischayatmika, with all those suggestions which the mind has put, the buddhi from the storehouse of the, this collective mind will bring out the knowledge, will bring out the knowledge that this is the red flower just the way when uh, uh, you know that uh, in a crime in a, in a criminal situation the detective what will we do he will getting various clues from the various uh, witnesses from all the clues taking all the clues he can get a picture of the criminal that who that person is how he looks how what is his look and it we find that it almost tallies with uh, the real person. It's the science itself. So that's the thing which happens constantly in our mind. The buddhi, what it is doing, all the suggestions, all the piecemeal perceptions which are happening in the manas, they are just being presented to the buddhi and buddhi from its storehouse brings out the knowledge. Yes, this is the red flower. This is the rose, red rose. And for to all this thing to happen, the ego has to be awakened. When I'm in deep sleep, my ego is also not working. As Sri Ramakrishna used to say, that you may be a very wealthy person, extremely powerful person. But when you're in deep sleep, you're so helpless. If a person comes and spits on you, you, you cannot react even. You know where you react. So what the when this all this question of stimuli response comes, when the ahamkar gets activated. So now you will find all these things constitutes the Apara-Prakriti that, but the mind by itself cannot be active. When you, when we wake up, the conscious principle is getting associated with the mind and then it's happening. It's just like the computer when it's switched off, it has the potency to do so much of work, but it is less like a dead inert matter. All those IC chips are like dead inert matter. The moment you own the computer, The bias voltage passes through it. Immediately, a world of virtual reality gets activated from that computer. Similarly, that bias voltage is like that conscious principle, and all these chips, the integrated circuit within the CPU, is like our mind, with all its subtle, the subtle elements, gross elements, mind, buddhi, all these ahankara constitutes that CPU. The moment this gets connected. And this world comes into picture. What's there outside, I can never know. What I know is what I throw out. What the suggestions which are coming from the external world, the suggestions are immediately decoded as our perceptions, and that's what I perceive. So that's the thing which constitutes the entire creation. So how and who is behind all this? Is all the jivas, each and every individual jivas and their perceptions and the way they react, everything is connected through that, like the server computer. The Ishwara is like the server computer. All are networked through him. So he's one who is beyond the para as well as the apara-prakriti. So that's the idea Yes, we try to understand because these are the words which we'll be referring to again and again. Unless we try to reflect on them, it becomes very difficult to really understand the scriptures it's not something to, uh, the script in the uh, the samkhya philosophy the vedanta philosophy they are in no way trying to explain the external world what they're trying to do is that what i am perceiving how that perception is happening they try to explain the entire creation from inside out not from outside in that how the moment you wake up, the world immediately gets manifested. That in a Tagur song, very nice line is there. When the I that I get conjoined with you, when there is a communion, when there is a conjugal relation between you and me. Everything opens up. The entire creation in a wave form suddenly starts vibrating. These are lines from the Tagore's Point, wonderful lines. This all speaks of the way we have to relate to the entire creation as has been explained in Vedanta and in Sankhya and Yoga. So this is the idea which uh, is being indicated in the words of Sri Ramakrishna. So he's actually, what, whatever he's saying, the words may appear to be very simple, but the entire scripture is behind his mind. It's not that he read the scripture. His realization, his words of realization, the, has to tally with the scripture. The proof that the scriptures are not mere imagination that they are authentic is the realization of the real, of this spiritual evolved souls their realization gives the authenticity of the scriptures so it's not that they read the scriptures and they are speaking they're speaking from their realization and now the scriptures gets revealed yes what has been spoken of the scripture do have some meaning so now let us let us uh, proceed to the words of sri ramakrishna just see how picturesque this universe is, how many things there are, the sun, moon, and stars, and how many varieties of living beings, big and small, good and bad, strong and weak, some endowed with more power, some with less. Now here we will find Vidya Sagar is going to ask some question, which Sri Ramakrishna even much later indicated, that... This indicates the difference between realization and mere scholarship. scholarship. Vidya Sagar is a scholar, but he doesn't have the fund of realization to authenticate that knowledge. So he says something which itself shows that he's lacking in realization, though he may be a pandit, a very great scholar. So what he told? Without the question, when the moment Ramakrishna told that he has endowed some with more power and some with less, immediately the Vidya Sagar's question was Has He endowed some with more power and others with less? So this is the thing when we find that in the question in, in our uh, attempt to bring a revolution where we say that we all are equal. We all are equal. No one has a more capacity or less. If facilities are given, all can excel. All are equal. So that's the idea which was prevailing. That all are equal. So that when Sri Ramakrishna, that he has endowed some with more power and some with less, immediately with Sagar, as per the contemporary belief, that all are equal. He asked this question, has he endowed some with more power and others with less? So the master now replies, as a very interesting, very poignant reply. As the all-pervading spirit, he exists in all beings, even in the ant. But the manifestations of his power are different in different beings in the words of Sri ramakrishna in the bengali tini so we will find in the very first uh, lecture of swami vivekananda not the first uh, address to the in the parliament of religion after that he read a paper on hinduism there he gives a very nice example with that we will ex- we can understand that what the idea that he is manifested everywhere. But there is a difference in the manifestation of his power. What is the example Swami Vivekananda is giving? He's saying suppose you have a huge uh, mound of clay, a huge lump of clay. And with, from that lump you take out considerably a big amount of clay and mould it into a quite big clay elephant. And from the same lump, you take a small amount of clay and mold it into a small mouse or a small rat. Now as clay, the elephant and the rat are same. But as per the quantity of the clay or as per the the size, they are different. So when they were in the same lump, there was no difference. As clay, they're both same. But the, as for the manifestation, of course there's a difference. So when the creation is not there, we are all one with Brahman. But when the creation is there, then of course there's a difference in manifestation. The white light, all the various wavelengths of light are all mingled together. The moment it passes through the prism, Of course, there's a spectrum where the violet band is is eternally separate from the indigo, red, and other colors, the blue, orange, uh, red, orange, yellow, whatever it is, this we find, yellow, orange, red, so it becomes a spectrum. There is a manifestation. So the same light is pervading all the spectrum. So as the pervading spirit there's the same light as a per, as the thing which is pervading it is the same light but as manifestation as per the wavelength we find they are of various strata so this is the idea which sri ramakrishna is saying that's we have to we can never say that the one the first generation learners i go to a tribal belt and the first generation learners that they are equal to the, fam- to the children who have been educated for the entire family is educated, has been brought up in that educated family. He naturally will be more sharp, more easily he will have the capacity to understand, comprehend a thing than the one who is a first generation learner. How can you say the manifestation is same? The manifestation can never be same. The Sri Ramakrishna uh, Swami Vivekananda much later, this uh, he uh, resolved this uh, what do you say the this uh, di- dilemma that this the equal that we are all equal. Because, uh, Swamiji also saying that we are never all equal. It's not the question that all has to be equal or all are equal. Evil exists not because of denying the fact that we are. Uh, uh, all equal. That uh, many assert the fact that as we deny the fact that we are all equal, all the evil exists. Swami Vivekananda in one of his lectures, not in one, but quite a few lectures, is saying, but the fact is there is inequality. As per our strength is concerned, some are more, st- more some are having more strength, some are weaker, some are more wealthy, some are poorer. How can you say all are equal? The evil is not because we uh, we deny equality as it was propounded in those days. The evil is because inequality is there as per the manifestation concerned, but there is no right for exploitation. That's a wonderful thing that as I am more wealthy than you and I start thinking that I have the right, the wealthy has the right to exploit the others. There the evil comes into existence. When the one who has more knowledge, he starts thinking with all my intelligence, I will fool all the so-called ignorant ones. It is exploitation. There the evil comes. It's all, it's this, we can never say that everything has to be equal. Inequality is the basic fact of life. It is there. But we, what, when we, are, we, we are, have to take care of that as I am more intelligent, that doesn't mean I have the right to exploit others. That's what the, throughout the world is, is going on. With all my intelligence, I try to exploit the one who are ignorant. With all my wealth, you will find the entire government, the way the tax system works, the wealthy have influenced in such a way, with all their wealth, they don't have to pay the tax the tax, the, who are paying, the so-called, those were the middle class. So these are the things that uh, you will find that just, uh, that's why that all the Wall Street movement was there, that Occupy movement, that 99% of the wealth is with the 1% of the population. How it has happened? Because of the manipulation of the systems. So this exploitation, that is the cause of all the evil. It's not the inequality. Inequality is bound to exist because the manifestation is not the same. The same uh, conscious principle is manifesting somewhere more, somewhere, somewhere less. Just as Swami Vivekananda gives an example that when you see your own reflection on the turgid water, then on clear water, then on a shining metal, then on a mirror, So where you find your reflection is almost just your, uh, it is almost similar to you. It's of course in the mirror. When we read in the Bible that God has made man in his own image, what it speaks of, that man is much higher manifestation. He can reflect as if the God as it is. The other creatures also is reflecting God, the same conscious principle. Is being reflected through all the lower animals, but they are like the reflection in the turgid water, in some uh, clear water or some shining metal, but not in the mirror. So, the Lord, who he, just to know His own nature, that's uh, one way of understanding the entire creation. The God to know what His, how, his, what is His power, what is His, his uh, knowledge. He has created this creation. This creation is a mirror. Just the way I can see everything, I cannot see my own face. To see my own face, I need a mirror. So, God, to see Himself as if, has created this creation. And in his attempt to find, to realize His own nature, this entire evolution process is going on. The lower creatures, there the manifestation is less, the reflection is not clear. But it is as the all pervading spirit, He is the one behind it. But it is not manifested through the entire process of evolution. It is the all-pervading spirit within everyone who is trying to remove the ignorance and find more and more manifestation. So that's why the inequality is something which is the basic fact of life. It will be there. We cannot say all are equal. All are equal as the all-pervading spirit that we cannot deny. But how much it has manifested. There lies the difference. And so, of course, so it has the Lord has endowed some with more power and some with less. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. As the all-pervading spirit, he exists in all beings, even in the ant. But the manifestations of his power are different in different beings. Otherwise, how can one person put 10 to flight while another can't face even? One, and why do all people respect you? Have you grown a pair of horns? You have more compassion and learning, therefore people honor you and come to pay you their respects. Don't you agree with me? So now we find Vidya Sagar didn't say yes or no; he just smiled. Now Ramakrishna is saying something, which is interesting. That that one question made Ramakrishna feel that how knowledge, academic knowledge, without the fund of realization can be shown shallow. So what he's saying? There is nothing in mere scholarship. Sri Ramakrishna is to give a very nice example that a shallow pond, its water appears to be very clean. A shallow pond, its water appears to be very clean, What you have to do, you have to just go and take a stick and stir the water a little and you will find all the turgidity is coming up. If you stir a huge reservoir, if a huge reservoir with clean water, if you stir, nothing happens. But if it is a shallow pond, you stir immediately, all the dirts come bubbling up and immediately makes the water turgid. Sri Ramakrishna used to say that mere scholarship is like that shallow pond. It has no depth. Just when he starts speaking, you may appear that he is very scholarly, but as the, as the in what you say that discussion goes on, suddenly you will find they have started speaking something which speaks that this fund of realization is not behind that. He's speaking something irrelevant. So that's why Sri Ramakrishna is saying there is nothing in mere scholarship, the object of study is to find means of knowing God and realizing him. That many after reading scriptures think that I have understood this. all the truths behind the scriptures, the spiritual truth I have understood. So it's not a matter of intellectual uh, understanding. You have to realize, very interesting that Throughout, if, if you read the history of Buddhism, that Buddha, Swami Vivekananda in one place have indicated Buddha as a rebel child of Hinduism. The rebel child of Hinduism. Why? That in, in when before Buddha, we find that Hinduism has already developed. Various schools of philosophy has started existing. And there was a fight going on about the nature of the ultimate reality. So these all these philosophies, they are called darshanas. That they are trying to, from their perspective, try to understand. That perspective is intellectual perspective. Try to understand the nature of reality. And there's a tr- tremendous fight going on. One view contradicts the other. So, this, sarcastically, it is, it is being told that unless your view. Is something contradictory to others' view? You cannot be considered as a muni, a scholar. It has to contradict others. It's in the even in the present academic world, unless you say something which is sensation, which creates a sensation. It's just considered to be uh, something just uh, ordinary. It has to create some sensation. Uh, you have to say something unique, which is contradicting the existing paradigm, the existing way of understanding the reality and then you are considered to be a scholar. So Buddha found that in our attempt to find the reality we have got sidetracked, we are just wasting the time in mere discussion. There's a nice story in the life of Buddha when someone came and asked him that whether God is, he kept silent, whether God is not, he kept silent. He was totally dissatisfied when he left. Ananda, Buddha's disciple, asked, "Why don't you answer? Either say yes or no." Buddha's reply was interesting: "That I never propound any philosophy, or I don't propound any tatwa, the ultimate uh, real, the concept about ultimate reality. I don't speak of any tatwa. What I speak of is a path." And the people take the path to be the tatwa, to be the principle. I never speak of principle. I speak of the path. And when I speak of the path, just see the paradox that I, as I found that people are fighting with the principle, I'm silent about the principle. I don't speak of the principle. I just say, follow the path and realize the principle. Why just as long as you have not tested the mango, you can never Understand the taste of mango. So realize it, taste the mango, and then the knowledge will be, the principle will be palpably uh, comprehensible to you. So he was silent about that. So I always speak of the path, people take it to be the principle. And that's the truth with all the scriptures. They're the index finger, they're not the moon. When the mother is trying to show the moon to the child, the child's entire attention gets stuck to the index finger of the mother. And the child thinks the index finger to be the moon. Mother is saying there is the moon and the the child looks at the finger and takes that to be the moon. And that's what we are doing. But the entire scripture actually is not to intellectually understand the reality. It is just showing the way which you have to follow following the way, I have to go to the realization. So for that scripture do have a purpose. It is not for mere scholarship. It is that after reading it as in some other place, Sri Ramakrishna gives a very nice example. What? That someone have sent a letter uh, that such a list of things has to be sent to him, has to be couriered through him. Through courier it has to be sent to him. Now he lost the letter. He was in frantic search for the letter. Now, he, when he, after a lot of search, he got the letter and then he read the list. Now, after reading the list, once he have collected all the things, now the one who was in frantic search of that letter, he himself tears it off. It's done, its purpose is done, that all the things which has to be sent, he has all collected, now he will be sending it. His letter is of no use. So the object of study is to find the means. There it purpose end. It's not just to have an intellectual idea from the scripture and just go on quarreling about it. So the object of the study is to find means of knowing God and realizing Him. In the life of Ramakrishna we find very interesting that Swami Turiyananda as a young boy was greatly absorbed in studying Vedanta. And sometimes even to visit Ramakrishna, he used to think that waste of time that he was so absorbed in reading the scriptures. So after a long time when he visited Ramakrishna, Ramakrishna asked him that what were you doing that you have not visited for such a long time? He told, I was reading the script. I, I am nowadays reading scriptures, the Vedas, the Vedantas. Ramakrishna in one word just what he told that was a realization for swami turiananda for entire life he told what your vedanta says doesn't it say that the world is not the world is false and brahman alone is real brahma satya jagat brahman alone is real the world is mere illusion if that's so why not try to renounce the world and get established in your real self, that practice, you've read that, you're constantly reading that and developing the power of uh, argument and getting lost in the forest of words. That's not the purpose of the scripture. After reading that, now comes the practice. If Jagat is Mithya, renounce that, get detached from it and get more and more attached to the reality, contemplate on it. So told, yeah, that the single sentence brought an immediate transformation in my mind. So that's the idea. That object of study is to find means of knowing God and realizing Him. Otherwise they have no value. As when Swami Vivekananda used to visit Ramakrishna, one day he asked Naren, just see there's the almanac lying there. Bring the almanac. So he brought it and he told that read the forecast that this year how much rainfall is going to be there. So Naren told, yeah, it's written that this year there is going to be torrential rain. And now Ramakrishna told, squeeze the almanac. Naren never understood why he's saying to squeeze the almanac. And then Ramakrishna, what he says is very, something really very interesting. He says, if you squeeze, not a single drop of water will come out of it. As long as it speaks of torrential rain, flood, but you squeeze it, not a single drop of water comes out of it. As long as not a single drop of water comes of it, it's mere book. It will speak of all those realization, but it doesn't have the capacity to give even a small inkling of that realization. So that book has to motivate us. They are the motivating factors. They are not Speaking of the truth, they are motivating us to realize the truth. So, the object of the study is to find means of knowing God and realizing Him. A holy man had a book. Sri Ramakrishna is continuing. When asked what it contained, he opened it and showed that all the pages were written. I mean, in all the pages were written the words "Om Rama, Om Rama." Nothing else. He has just. Went on writing Om Rama Om Rama. So, what actually speaks of? That God alone is. Everything else is a mere projection, superimposition. So, just be identified with God. Why go on wasting time in useless discussion? So, if Rama is the only reality, contemplate on him. He is the Sara, the essence of entire existence. So, if I know him if i realize him if i contemplate on him that alone is going to serve my purpose so that's alone the only thing he has written so if uh, i know the world is a projection everything else is a mere projection superimposition then why to get attached to that so the renunciation is something which is a, a must in spiritual life that i go on discussing the scripture, but in my life, it shows that I'm still attached to the worldly way of living. In no way I'm going to progress spiritually. So, Tiaga or renunciation is the be-all and end-all of spiritual journey. So, that's what Sri Ramakrishna, after saying that, he has written Om Rama. He's speaking of that if Rama is real, the world is unreal, then you cannot... Just uh, what you say, go down the stream by keeping your feet in two boats. That's what Tulsidas says. Jaha Ram, nahi kaam. Where Rama is, there cannot be lust. Where lust is, there cannot be Rama. And the example he gives is, it's as if trying to cross this ocean of samsara by uh, still, uh, what is just by contemplating on God and at the same time, still being attached to the worldly ways of existing is just like trying to cross the river by keeping your feet in two boats, you can never do that. So if Rama is the reality, then renunciation is something which is a must. And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating in his next words. What is the significance of the Gita? It is what you find by repeating the word 10 times. So if you go on repeating Gita, it becomes Tagi. Gita, Gita, Gita. So it becomes Tagi. So the Tagi speaks of Tyaga. So it is then reversed into Tagi. If you go on saying Gita, if you go on repeating Gita, it becomes Tagi. Which means a person who has renounced everything for God, Tyagi. And the lesson of the Gita is a man, O man, renounce everything and seek God alone. Whether a man is a monk or a householder, he has to shake off all attachments from his mind. So that's the the be all and end all of our spiritual journey. Whether I'm a monk or a householder. So a monk he can do it both physically as well as mentally. For householder physically it is not possible to as such uh, get rid of all the entanglements but mentally he can still renounce as Sri Ramakrishna used to say that when a servant uh, is uh, working with the family of the landlord takes care of the landlord's children she verbally goes on saying my child my child but from the bottom of her heart she knows they are not her child her child is in the village she has left her for the work she is here So similarly, as a householder, all the detachment should be mental. But for a monk, it is both physical as well as mental. Now, even after renouncing the world, a monk, if he's thinking all the time worldly things, that is not going to help him. Ultimately, it is the mind which speaks of bondage and liberation. It is the mind which is in bondage, it is the mind which is in liberation. So where your mind is, that's the thing which is more important. So renunciation, when Sri Ramakrishna is saying whether a man is a monk or a householder, he has to shake off all attachments from his mind. That mind is very important. Where you are, what you are is not important as Sri Ramakrishna in some other place gives a very nice example, the two friends were passing down the street and suddenly they saw that uh, some Ramukatha, some spiritual discussion, discourse is going on. So one of the friends, he thought thought that why not go and join it? He told, I am just going to join that. The other friend, he told, I am not interested in it. He was a bit sensuous person. He told, I am going to have some real fun. he told okay you go for to have fun let me just enjoy the spiritual discourse so they both departed the one who was hearing the spiritual discourse he was constantly thinking oh my friend is enjoying and the one who went for fun he somehow in short time started repenting just see my condition i'm just uh wasting my time in all these things my friend how nicely he's enjoying the scriptures so after death, it was found the one who went to the so-called this uh, this uh, the place of uh, joy and fun, just who went for fun, he is the one who is taken by the Vishnu Duta, means he is goes to the heaven. The other has to uh, being, is dragged down to the lower levels of existence to the hell. So what the stories are all stories. What it actually indicates. That you, you, your real identity is where your mind is. So if you are, there's so many stories that there was a holy man sitting beneath a tree. This, in the Gospels, Sri Ramakrishna, with these stories, used to encourage the householders. That most of them who came to him, they were the householders. So is there no way out for them? Of course there's a way out. If you can, in spite of all your entanglements, you can keep your mind in Lord. So that's the idea. That's why attachment from his mind. This word is very important. That another story Sri Ramakrishna, very interesting story. These stories are very interesting. That a holy man always used to sit in the shadow of a tree. And there was a road passing by the side of the tree. And that road ended up in the cottage, in the cottage of a lady of ill repute. And throughout the day, so many persons will be coming down the road. At the end of the day, this holy man, whenever he is to see this lady of the old uh, ill repute, will show her how many stones he has kept aside. That each person going, he will keep a stone aside. And at the end of the day, he will show, he will abuse that uh, that lady by saying, so much of sin you have done. And the same thing that he is saying, at the end, we find that the old lady is to repent. This. Situation of life has kept her in that situation. There was no way out. But she used to repair. She was not happy with her way of life. So at last we find. that the holy man's mind is always in what the other is person is doing. He is just finding fault with others, and his mind is getting contaminated by all those evils, by all those faults. So where your mind dwells, as his mind is dwelling in all those evils, it is he who has a very Uh, what you say after death is being dragged to the lower levels of existence and the, the one who repented he got the fruit for his repentance he was taken the same idea blessed are those who repent even in the bible the same words are there so where your mind is so how you're trying to really get detached so that's the thing which the is the main message of the gita so try to renounce shake off the attachment from the mind and if God alone is the truth, try to be more and more identified with Him. So that's the thing. That's the basic thing. All the scriptures at last it boils down to this, that develop, try to develop a detachment from the world and try to be more and more attached to the essence of your existence. The Lord. this Spiritual entity, which is the essence of your existence. Get attached to that. Chaitanya Deva. These are the stories which Sri Ramakrishna is saying from the life of Chaitanya. Chaitanya Deva set out on a pilgrimage to southern India. One day he saw a man reading the Gita. Another man seated at a distance was listening and weeping. His eyes were swimming in tears. Chaitanya Deva asked him, Do you understand all this? The man said, no reverse sir. I don't understand a word of the text. Then why are you crying? Asked Chaitanya. The devotee said, I see Arjuna's chariot before me. I see Lord Krishna and Arjuna seated. I see Lord Krishna and Arjuna seated in front of it, talking. I see this and I weep. So, this is a wonderful. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in life, after hearing this, he was ecstatic. He told that the studying that you have achieved the thing which one achieves by really by studying the Gita. What's that? The love for the divine. It's a love for the God. So, if just by hearing something which even you don't understand, if you can visualize the Lord, And it's not a mere just visualization, with the visualization, your emotion, your devotion has got so much cooked up, so much mixed up, that immediately your entire emotion is uh, just welling up. What a blessing it is that you have just identified yourself with the Lord through love, through devotion. And that's what is wanted. After studying the Gita, that is the idea that renounce the world, resort to Ishwara. If that is the thing that you have achieved, so what is the, the others used to make fun of that person? That he understands nothing, just simply cries, uh, very uh, some ignorant, ordinary person. But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu realized the greatness of that person. So that's the story Sri Ramakrishna is indicating. So the study of the scripture is to develop that love for God and dispersion for that worldly life. The devotee had attained that. So what else is needed? And that's what Sri Ramakrishna is indicating through this story. So why does a Vijnani keep an attitude of love towards God? The answer is that I-consciousness persists. So he will now take the discussion that when I start my spiritual journey then I have to resort to the love of God when I go to the realization, still that love continues. In Bhagavad Gita there are two ideas: aru ruksha and yoga arura. When you are trying to rise up, that is aru ruksha, and when you have, when you are already have reached the goal, you are yoga arura. You have reached. Now what you are trying that has become spontaneous. And that's the idea which Sri Ramakrishna will speak of in the next discussion. So today, uh, uh, the time is almost over. We will take this paragraph that the, why the Vigyani, the one who has realized, he still continues with the attitude of the love towards God. For that, Sri Ramakrishna will be discussing. Till now, he was speaking of the state of Aru-ruksha. And then he will speak of the state of Yogarura one you have been established, still the love with that love for God that still continues. You continue your existence with that. And what's the reason for that, that Sri Ramakrishna will be discussing. So we will take up that portion again in the next class. With this, we conclude our class today. Thank you all. Namaskars.